on today's Story Beat. And I've said this on several occasions to people, I can play the meanest woman in the world and the audience will buy it if you give them one little glimpse into how much it costs to be this way. What a wonderful one. It just has to be one one little moment where they the audience sees that this costs her. This is Story Beat with Steve Cuton, a podcast for the creative mind. Story Beat explores how masters of creativity develop and produce brilliant works that people everywhere love and admire. So join us as we discover how talented creators find success in the worlds of imagination and entertainment. Here now is your host, Steve Cuton. Thanks for joining us on StoryBeat. We're coming to you from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My guest today, the brilliant actress Candace Chappelle, has appeared on Broadway in Stephen Sondheim's Getting Away with Murder and Neil Simon's Rumors, and in many of the most prestigious regional theaters across the country. She's an associate artist of the Old Globe Theater in San Diego, where she's appeared in more than 30 productions. She's also worked extensively at South Coast Repertory Theater in Costa Mesa, California. Candace has three San Diego Theater Critics Circle Awards and is a four-time winner of the Best Performance Award from the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle. So for all those reasons and many more, I'm deeply honored to welcome one of the very best actresses working in today's theater, Candace Chappelle. Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, well, the honor is mine, believe me. So all right, let's talk a little bit about your past, about your history. You've obviously been at the acting game for a little while now, but at what point in your life, how early was it that you first got the bug where you thought to yourself, hmm, somebody's doing something up there, and I think that's kind of interesting, and I'd like to try that myself? Well, as a kid in elementary school, I was in a couple of school plays, and then in sixth grade, we moved, and I joined the drama club, which was an after-school organization. But I was never organized about it. And then the summer before I started high school, I decided I should take typing because I would have to do a lot of term papers. Right. And I thought, well, if I'm going to get up early and go to school, I might as well do something else as well. And I took drama. And that was it. That was it. Although I didn't know I wanted to be an actress. I just felt at home in the drama. And so for the next three years of high school, I took drama and I majored in drama in college, but I thought I would be a teacher. Hmm. And in fact, I thought I would be an English teacher. What school did you go to? San Diego State University. And when I started, it was college. And then they got their university accreditation. So I graduated from the university. But one summer, I went away and did summer stock. And in summer stock, you know, you rehearse a play for a week, and then it opens. And the next morning, you start rehearsing the next play while you're performing the first play. Sure. And one morning, I woke up and I thought, oh, yes, this is what I want to do. And that was the moment that I decided to be an actress. So it was the fact that there was one rolling into the next, and it was this huge amount of stuff at one time. That you're you're breathing, sleeping, eating theater. That mm-hmm. was it. And I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, this is it. And I, I always compare it to the John Denver song because 
It happened in the summer of my 27th year, coming home to a place I'd never been before. Oh, wow. And it happened. It yeah. clicked. It just clicked. And that's, so you, the bug didn't really bite you till you were into your, into your late teens or early twenties. That, that was, I was 27. That was the bug to become a professional actress. Before I that, I was in drama club. I was in plays everywhere. Yeah. So who back then did you think to yourself, I admire their career. I really like that person. Was there anyone who you thought, I don't necessarily want to be them, but I want to have something similar to what they do? I don't think I thought of it that clearly. I have to tell you, honestly, I'm not sure that even though I said, oh, yes, I want to be a professional actress, I didn't think in terms of career. I mean, I admired all the actors of the time and that sort of thing. And in high, when we were in high school, we were all talking one day about stage names. And I said, do you think Candace Hepburn would be too pretentious? Because I adored Katherine Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I didn't think in terms of a career. Do you think that uh, at this point that you can look back and say that when you made that discovery, wow, this is really what you want to do, that the theater then became a calling for you? I have a feeling that it had become a calling before that, but I hadn't answered the call yet. Because as I say, all through high school, that was my focus. And I did major in drama in college, but I, I didn't put it together as, yes, I can make my living as an actress. Mm -hmm. All right. So now you've been based in San Diego for all of your career or for a latter part or how oh, long? Most you of it. Uh, for the last 10 years, I haven't been living in San Diego. I live up in the Bay Area now. Oh, I see. But um, yes, for, for almost the whole time I was in San Diego. What is it about San Diego that makes theater special there? Because I know it is special there. Well, I mean, that's where my family moved to. When I was in, um, when I was six years old, my family moved to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And when I got really bitten by the acting bug, when I really became aware, more aware of it, um, my local neighborhood theater was the Old Globe. So, I mean, it was it was magical. That's a pretty good neighborhood to be in. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And so you were able to go see a lot of theater at that time. I saw a lot of theater there. Yes. And I sort of I grew up there. My first show, this is I love telling this story. My first two shows at the Globe, I was a prop girl because when I was in high school, a boy that I was in love with got cast in a show at the Globe. And I thought, well, if he's going to be there every night, I'll be there every night. So I volunteered to run the prop. So that was my start at the Old Globe Theater. So you're the reverse of almost every story I've heard from so many different male actors where they will say the reason why I started in a drama class is because that's where the girls were. And I wanted to go meet girls. Now you're saying it's the opposite for you. It's because there was a boy. I followed a boy. Yep. 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 <laughs> so let's talk Isn't about your approach to being in a show, acting in a show. When you land a new role, what do you do first, aside from reading the script, obviously, but what's your first step in analyzing the script? What are you usually most curious about? I basically don't do anything. I've actually said yes to parts on it rare occasions where I hadn't even read the play yet because it was a director I so completely trusted who offered me a part and I'd say, yeah, I'll come and do it. But I don't spend a lot of time reading the play. I definitely do not learn lines ahead of time. To me, everything has to happen when you're all together in the room. 
the chemistry of the room, in other words, the director and the cast and everyone involved, the chemistry in the room is a big element for me. So I don't want to learn my lines in the privacy of my own home because someone else is going to say them differently. Right. And yeah. do, do you then, the first time that you actually speak the words out loud is with at a table reading or something like that? Usually, yes. I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this because everybody talks about the homework that they do and everything. And I don't even research plays for the most part. Now, I actually have a job lined up for next summer, which is a one-woman show about Eleanor Roosevelt. So believe me, I have been reading about Eleanor a lot. (laughs) But mostly if it's, you know, unless it's some... Um, historical character, I don't do a lot of research because I, to me, the research happens in the rehearsal room. I see. But you are familiar with the play at the point that you do the first table read. Almost always I've read the play ahead of time. Although I have to tell you a running joke amongst my friends is saying, do you know how this ends? Do you, have you read the end of the play? You know, so yes, it's been known to happen. But yes, I'm generally familiar with it. Have you ever been completely fooled when you got to just to read it out loud that you went, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be? Yes, that it was harder than I expected. So I flummoxed a lot. I I mean, I was flummoxed a lot. I loved a lot of lines and things. But again, that's, you know, you straighten that out in the rehearsal process. And yes, things have turned out to be not the way I expected. And, And just to give you an example, I did Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. And I was playing Paulina and there's the scene when the queen dies and my character comes out and yells at the king because he caused this. And I just had it in my mind that I would just let loose at him on him and go crazy. And the director very gently steered me to the point where I started that way, but was so devastated by what happened that he finally had to help me leave the room. And I never had thought of that, but that's something that happened during rehearsal. (laughs) uh, All right. So you're giving me um, insight that I have never heard before, that you come at these parts, coming to it to discover it in the rehearsal process, not having done much ahead of time. So what then, once you get into the rehearsal process, do you then do to develop the character? How do you, how do you come to find the character? Well, I rely very heavily on the script. I think it's why I don't do a lot of research or I don't write a backstory or anything. I, I think it's important that everything that I need to know is in the script. A director said to me one time, my character said, oh, I wish I had a dog. And the, the director said, why do you say that? Did her parents not let her have a dog? And I said, well, I don't know that if I had, if I needed to know that it would be in the script. So I think I rely very heavily on the words, on what the playwright has given us. So you're looking for clues in the text as you're going. Yes. And of course, the director has huge input on that. And so do the other actors, which is why I don't like to make the decisions ahead of time, because what if the actor who's playing the part comes at it from a totally different way than I expected? And how important is it then that you are free to react to what's coming at you? Well, I think you have to. I mean, unless you can convince the other actor to change what he's doing, but that's not my job. So, yeah, so I have to I have to shape what I'm doing 
to what he's doing. That's why I talk about the chemistry in the room. You mm-hmm. have to play off each other so much. So what I assume that over the many years that you've done this, that you've bumped into one or more circumstances where the chemistry maybe wasn't so great. What do you do in that case? Oh, interesting. I, you know what? Off the top of my head, I can't think of a time. So the chemistry has like always been good for you. That's pretty lucky, I think. Well, I mean, how can I say this? You make the chemistry work. I mean, that's my job. Oh, very good. How, how do you make it work? Tell me how you do it. What do you do? I have to be open to what the other people have in mind or what the director suggests or what my response is to what the other actor is doing. I guess that's that's. Do, do you think of yourself as, I'm going to use a probably a cliched term, but do you think of yourself as clay to be molded? Only to a certain extent. I, uh, I have very strong ideas <laughs> and, and strong instincts, and I tend to trust my instincts. So I have been known to, um, as I call it, arm wrestle with a director over something. <laughs> yes, yes. Although I had to train, I had to teach myself to at least give it a try. Because the first word out of my mouth very often is no. And I had to retrain myself. Do you, so what do you do to be, or maybe you aren't, are you diplomatic about that arm wrestling or? I try to be, I try very hard to be. Yes. I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself difficult to work with. You'll have to talk to someone else about that. But I am very strong when I have an opinion about something I do. I am strong about it. I will happily fight with, I'm putting air quotes around that, fight with a director if I feel strongly about something. Well, you'll have, you'll have disagreements about things, which is part of the creative and artistic process. Right. It wouldn't be, I don't think it would be very interesting if you didn't have any of that, you know. And I've worked with the director who actually said to me, well, we'll try it your way, but you're going to do it my way. (laughs) So, you know, a little like a window shade just closed behind my eyes working with that guy. Oh, boy. Oh, whoa. Well, there are many directors who famously will, especially in a, in a movie set, let's use movies for a moment, which is different from the theater. Obviously, we can talk about that distinction. But there are many directors who famously see an actor trying to do something they don't want them to do. And they will agree to let them do what they want to do only after they've done what the director wanted to do first. And that way, they've got it in the yeah. can twice, and the director can choose whatever they want. Well, I think that's great. I mean, that's that seems fair to me, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of figuring out a role? What would you say is the ooh. hardest stuff to do? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I actually don't know how to answer that because as I've been thinking about all of this, I have to tell you that I am a very technical actress. I work from the outside in. I rely very heavily on technique. And I heard you talking to someone about it, about describing what technique is, but I put it together dot by dot. I'm like a pointillist painter and I put it together dot by dot, detail by detail. And then you step back and you hope there's a nice picture there and the audience will see the whole picture. Well, so Olivier, I'm- Olivier famously, once he had the wig and the, the nose and the costume, he felt like he was the character at that point. That's outside in. Are you like that? Yes, to a certain point. Uh, there have been times when I've put on the costume and gone, oh, OK, now I get it. That it took me that extra mo- It took me that extra step. That mm-hmm. has happened to me, yes. 
but mostly it's that emotionally I need to put it together piece by piece. Some directors will say to actors, well, go too big, make it too big and we'll pull it back. And I always have to say, yeah, that's not gonna happen because some, oh, see now this is like a, this is like being in a psychiatrist's office. <laughs> <laughs> something happened to me when I was very young in the theater about someone pushed me into something that I was completely unprepared for. And it so traumatized me that now I'm very cautious. Really? I will never do anything risky. I will go to a risky place, but not in a jump. I will work up to that. But I don't like to do anything that I'm not... Do you for. do you have that conversation with the director before you start working on a show so that they know that, that you'll do that? No, not always. For one thing, I work with a lot of directors over and over again. And once they know, it's fine. Sure. But I did, <laughs> I did reach a point where I had to say to directors who hadn't worked with me before that I have a habit. Um, how can I explain? David Ogden Stiers, the wonderful actor, David Ogden Stiers. Right described one of his classmates at Juilliard as her face is malign in repose. <laughs> and that actress became a friend of mine and told me about this. And I've adopted that because my face is malign in repose. So I sometimes have to warn new directors and say, if you're giving me a note and I'm looking at you and you think I'm thinking, you idiot, why don't you just go away and leave me alone? It, that's not it. I actually am listening and processing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just that as, as you're listening and processing, your face goes into a malign look. Yes, yeah. And if I'm tired, everybody says to me, cheer up. Are you okay? What happened? Who died? But it's just because my face goes downward. Yeah, it's very funny. So it's they think you're being more serious than you actually yes. are. yes. Have how often have you created roles that have never been, appeared before? Brand new plays. Um, a handful of times, not huge, but a handful of times. But one of them has is one of my favorite roles of all time. Which is and that? It's a, a play by Donald Margulies called Collected Stories. Mm. And I did the original production and I've done it four times. I've done four productions of it. I was really lucky with that one. That was just... Did, did you find that that was um, different or more difficult than doing something that maybe you had seen before or read before? No, I, I would say not because um, there are no expectations and everybody's finding their way with it. I mean, the playwright, the act, the director, the actors, everybody's sort of on tender hooks there, tender ground. Yeah. You find that very fulfilling to, to, uh, to, to make something brand new that nobody's ever seen before? Yeah, I think it's, it's exciting. Yes. I, 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 I imagine it is. Times I've done it. Yeah. I imagine I it's it, very exciting. I, but as I say, I've only done it a handful of times, mm -hmm. but it's been really good experiences each time. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask repeatedly to many different guests in different ways, but it's the same basic question, which is you have already said that you sometimes take on roles without knowing what the roles are simply because you're okay with a director. But I assume there are roles you take on because you want to take them on that you already know about them. And for you, what makes a good role good what is it that you look at and go hmm this is something i really want to sink my teeth into what is it about one role over another that makes it good oh it's that's such an interesting question because there are a couple of roles i've played 
where the character has to go to such a difficult place emotionally, but to me, it's worth it. And others where you, you're working so hard and you have to get so, go to that place emotionally and it's sort of not worth it. And um, it's what makes the audience care. Which roles make the audience care? I think that's the easiest way to explain it. So do you then know that when you're in that first reading and you know that this is this role is going to make an audience care? No, I don't think so. Yet. And then do you know before you hit an audience or do you no. need the audience to tell you? You know, the only reason we're doing this, when I've said this to people before, the only reason we're doing this is for an audience. Right. What, what the hell are we doing this for, if not to give it to an audience? So we have to make sure that the audience gets all of it, that it's available to the audience. And I have just found that the, the roles that have been the most fulfilling are the ones where you know that the audience cares about the person, no matter what the person goes through, mm -hmm. has to do. One of my favorite roles is in an Alan Acorn play called Woman in Mind. And she's a very flawed character. She's not an easy woman, but at the end of it, she goes insane before your very eyes. Oh. And it's devastating to the audience. They have come to love her because she has a lot of humor as well. Besides being a difficult person, she's very funny. And they come to love her. And then somebody described it once to me and they said, it's as if you were thrown off a cliff, right? Cliff right in front of us and we can't do anything about it. Oh, wow. And they were so, yeah. So that the audience in that case was so fond of her in an odd way. Yeah. So one of the things that we teach in, in writing is that you must create some sort of identification with the character for the audience to then have empathy for the character so that they will care. And that empathy is very important. Without it, it's very challenging to get an audience to go along with a character. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I've said this on several occasions to people. I can play the meanest woman in the world and the audience will buy it if you give them one little glimpse into how much it costs to be this way. What a wonderful there one. It just has to be one one little moment where they, the audience sees that this costs her. And then you can do anything. I think that's fantastic. And a lot of that comes out of one form of conflict or another. Usually mm -hmm. in a play, it'll be a verbal conflict, not physical. Um, and that conflict then creates this empathy for those characters because people have their own conflicts in their own, own life and, and get it. Well, another, another favorite role of mine is Eleanor of Aquitaine in The Line in Winter. Right. And the first time I was, I was playing her, I was having the hardest time with her. And I called a friend of mine who had directed a production of it. And I said, God, I can't make her work. I said, this is a regal, noble woman. She's the queen. She's been the queen of France. She is the queen of England. And I can't quite solve this. And he said, oh, get over it. The woman's a monster. She's locked in a prison 364 days a year. And she's got 24 hours to make all her schemes come true. And it just clicked and it went, oh, God, of course. I assume sometimes you have to remind yourself that the characters are just some version of a person. Yes, yes. 
Absolutely. And that that person will have all of the problems, faults, and foibles that, that any normal person would have. And you want that because nobody wants to play someone who's totally good or totally evil. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not so interesting. So craft wise, I'm assuming that you're a pretty good memorizer of lines. You've memorized a lot of them. Do you have a particular trick that you use for memorizing lines? Yes. Yes. First of all, the rehearsal process helps a lot because you just you go over things more than once and you remember where you're standing when you say a certain thing. But my real trick is I make a tape or I record something and I record the other person's lines and then I leave a blank space for my line. So I can run my lines while I'm washing dishes, while I'm driving. I can run my lines constantly as often as I want to. Because it's the worst thing in the world to ask someone to say, hey, would you hold book for me while I run lines? I mean, sure. Sure. Do you, do you find that, that that's uh, the best way is that, that brute force that just constantly doing it? Yes, it really helps. And even when I'm doing a play, I usually run through the lines while I'm on my way to the theater. I almost mm. always, certainly if I'm doing Shakespeare. Is that your, is that your pre-performance routine is to run lines? It is. Yeah. And pace the hall. If I if I get dressed a little bit ahead of time, I like to pace up and down the hallway waiting for my entrance. And, yeah. and what does that do for you? Does it get you into a rhythm or does it get your body moving? What does it do for you? Oh, it's, it's funny. I have no idea because I'm not, uh, maybe it builds up energy. It just gets me moving a little bit, gets my blood pumping. I don't walk forcefully. I just stroll up and down, but it it's just something to get me moving, I guess. As opposed to sitting still in a chair. Yes. It, you, See, you know. it's so funny to talk about this, Steve, because this is why I don't teach, because <laughs> I don't understand how I do what I do. Well, that, so that's it's very interesting to have to put this into words. Well, that's also okay in terms of what we're doing here today on Storybeat, because that fact alone is interesting to me that you don't really know why it works or what or how it works or what it is you're doing it's something that you're doing in, instinctively intuitively or whatever it would be and you've done it long enough where you know it works somehow so you, you don't question it you keep going and some people can formulate it in their head here's how i do it and some people have to just trust themselves yes yes that's why i say i work very technically and i get all the technical stuff out of the way i have to understand the blocking the blocking has to make sense to me i have to know where my props are on the set and then something this is the only kind of i can never think of a word to say the magical part of acting because then it goes to another level and i don't understand that other level the performance goes to another level. And I don't know how that happens. I can explain how the technical stuff happens. But. Well, we don't, we would never want to um, reveal the magic and the magic in this case is, <laughs> is somewhat unknown. And that's a, unknown that's what makes step. it magical is you don't know what it is, right? Um, yep. Once you've opened a show and are into a run, and I'm not talking about a short run, but a, but a decent healthy run, do you actively continue to seek new things about the character or do you fall into it? One stage manager said to me a long time ago in this, in this voice, you're very consistent, aren't you? And I, I had to laugh because I said, well, yes, I work at, I mean, I pride myself on that. 
I don't get bored in runs. People talk about, oh, it's so boring. I had to find something new and try something. I don't do that. I'm very comfortable in recreating it every night. So, so you don't become complacent. I don't think I do. I don't I mean, think so. I think you'd know if you had, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Do you do anything while you're in a run to, to uh, work on your acting beyond the show? Or do you just no. let the show be it? The show is it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know it's funny because I know p- people who say, oh, well, I just memorized Hamlet's to be or not to be soliloquy just for something to do. And it's like, oh, my God, you did. <laughs> I, I never would think of doing something like that. <laughs> Can you think of a an unusual or challenging something that happened on stage and how you then handled it? Like somebody didn't enter or somebody, something something happened to a a prop or the set or something. Yes. Yes. One of them was I was in Arizona doing a production of night mother, which is only two people. Marsha Norman, right? Yes. And it was fairly late in the play and the, and, in those days, I was playing the daughter. Now I would be playing the mother. But in those days, this was in the 80s. So I was playing the daughter. Right. And the woman playing the mother, we, I gave her her cue. I said my line. And she couldn't make words. She sort of mumbled and couldn't make words. And I thought, oh, she's gone up. And so I got us back on the track and I gave her her next cue. And she couldn't form the lines or the words. And it looked like her lip was stuck to her teeth. And it turns out we skipped 18 pages of dialogue. And I honestly, honestly, I think she had a mini stroke on stage. Wow. Yes. And we, what we skipped was the mother's whole philosophy about what the daughter was doing. The mother's side of the argument. And we had a discussion with the audience afterwards and the other actress didn't want to go out there because she was so upset. And I said, no, no, come out. You'll be able to. And the audience never asked us anything. They didn't realize that something had happened. Well, it, yeah. so in other words, you covered it in some way that the audience well, didn't know. Yes. Yes. But we had to skip huge amounts of dialogue because I couldn't do I couldn't feed her every line. So we jumped several times. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure anyway. that that's. I'm not sure that that says more about the audience or about the play. Oh, I know. I know. I know. But I mean, it was, yeah. Well, that's one of those plays that's such an, um, an emotional, has such an emotional impact on the audience. Right. So I, I know you've appeared over time in a lot of dramas, but you've also appeared in comedies as well. Oh, yes. Do yes. you have a preference if somebody said to you for the rest of your career, you could only play comedies or dramas, would you have a preference or does it not matter to you? It doesn't matter, but I have to tell you about that. This is a very interesting thing. For years, I considered myself a comedian. Hmm. And I thought the, the most powerful thing in the world is to be on stage and make 500 people laugh at the same time. It's powerful. Then I did, and it happened to be the same production, Night Mother. I did Night Mother. And there was a moment in the play when the mother hugs the daughter and the daughter can't bring herself to put her arms around her mother. And in that moment, I remember one at one performance, I thought, oh, this is power. When you make 500 people stop breathing. Mm. And I thought that's power. So I love doing dramatic 
ecstatic stuff, but I also like having fun and doing well, silly well, stuff. well, Not sure. Really I mean, stuff, but fun stuff. There's really, yeah. there really is. That sounds extremely powerful, but it is amazing because I've had it happen for me where you stand on a stage and make an audience full of people laugh. There's oh, nothing yeah. quite like it, you know. Um, it, would you say that one is more difficult to to do than the other? Is comedy more difficult to do than drama? Or are they the same on the same par? In an odd way, comedy, I think, is tougher because it is so easy to kill a laugh. You don't even know why sometimes. You don't know why it goes away. Well, yeah. Ed, Edmund Gwen once famously said, or at least it's usually attributed to him, um, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Comedy is hard. And someone who, it, I'm trying to think, oh, I think it was Apollo Dukakis whom you um, interviewed talked about, oh, if I turn my head this way, I get the laugh. Yes, he said and that. sometimes that, that's all it is, that if I turn my head this way, I get a laugh. But if I'm up, turned that way, I don't get a laugh. When you go in to do readings of, of a, a drama or a comedy, do you approach them differently in some way? What do you mean readings? Well, when you do your first your first table oh. read or when you're actually exploring in going into rehearsals, yeah, yeah. are you approaching a comedy differently than you are a drama? Or do you think of the characters as being, I'm approaching a character and it's just a character in a show? The bottom line is that what you just said, because I try never to try to be funny. I think that's wise. Play the reality of it. I've done a lot of Akeborn plays, and I don't know if you know Akeborn. He's one of my favorite playwrights. You cannot try to be funny doing his plays. He's done that for you. Right. Don't do it. Just play the reality. And I try to approach all of it that way. Yeah. Well, because otherwise it comes off as silly or not um, not real. But well, I did. Only once have I done a Fado farce, and right. I did it at the Old Globe one summer. And we were having a run through of the second act and we did the run through and the director said, well, there wasn't a single real person on stage. So let's try that again. And it was such a great lesson. I mean, that was just brilliant. Yeah, you can't usually you can't try to be funny unless you're a clown and then you're yes, trying yes. to make some kind of slapstick happen. Um, that's kind of a different thing entirely. I want to yes. talk for half a moment. I know you've done most of your work on stage, but you've done a little bit of camera work. Um, tiny bit, yes. Tiny bit. Did you find that um, unappealing in some way? Did you stay away from it or did you just love to do the theater and you just kept doing theater? Well, it wasn't entirely my choice. Whatever I have that works on stage, I don't think the camera picks up. I see. So I never got very far trying to do film and stuff. Gotcha. But so I, yeah. did, did you did you find working on the camera very different? Working with a camera different than working on stage? You have to oh, you have to pull yes, it down. It don't you? Different. Yes, you have to pull it down. But I'll tell you the, the magic thing that I did on my first movie and on my first TV show. And I didn't do it. I mean, I just felt compelled to do this. I for each of them, I went to the director and I said, this is my first movie, mm -hmm. so please bear with me. I don't know how any of this works, so bear with me. And he, the director of the movie absolutely took me under his wing, and he used to stand next to me and tell me what he was doing. And one of the actors, uh, the director stopped a scene that I was in and corrected me about something, and the star actor, who was Gene Wilder, said, look, 
explain this to her. She doesn't know. And he stopped and explained to me why the director wanted me to do something different. It was, I don't think anyone in Hollywood ever says that. I don't know how to do this. So it was really great. People were so good to me. Yeah. Well, well that's nice to hear. And, and the fact that you got to work with Gene Wilder, that's like super oh, special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we he, found out we were born in the same hospital. Wow. Years apart, but yes, the same hospital. So you didn't know each other at the hospital? Nope. <laughs> nope. All right. Now, we, you've already said that you've done re repertory where you're you've got one show going and you're rehearsing the next yes. one and so yeah. on. Um, what do you do in those circumstances to manage those different roles in the lines of dialogue and blocking and so on? How do you keep it all straight? Is it just natural for you to do that or do you have some kind of a, a trick? As you say, a technic you're a technical person. Is there a technique for keeping it all straight in your head? I don't think I do it uh, consciously. You arrive at the theater and you're putting on a different costume and different makeup and a different, different people are there with you. It's, it, it would be very hard, I think, to confuse what play you were doing. Mm -hmm. But having said that, the first summer that I did Summerstock, where you do 10 shows, you do nine shows in 10 weeks. So for weeks and weeks, you're doing that. I was on stage and a fellow actor came out and took my hands and I could tell by his eyes, not only did he not know his line, he didn't know what play we were doing. <laughs> and that was a really amazing moment for me to go, oh, poor guy. yeah, but we, we got back on track, but yeah, it's it's never been. Oh, I have to knock wood now. It's never been a problem. Well, that's that's really good. So, in other words, you it's just been natural for you. And I think it, it goes back to what you said about you being a technical actor. In that, once you put that costume on for that show, suddenly you are that character. Well, that yeah, would trigger yeah. all those thoughts, all those memories. You um, obviously, in your lifetime, have gone to more than one audition. And so I'm wondering if you have a particular philosophy toward auditioning that has helped you to get parts in your time. Do you look at it one way or another that may be different than others? Mm, I don't think so. I'm la I laughed when you said that because I was very blessed in that my career reached a point where people called me. Mm. So I have not had to do as many auditions as uh, some other people. I never got good at it. And in fact, one of the last shows that I auditioned for, I did a video audition, which I loathed. I mean, I'm such a dinosaur that video auditions just terrify me. <laughs> but this was the only way. And I auditioned and I got the part and the director told me later, well, your audition, your audition was really weird, but I cast you anyway. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. And I never did ask her what was weird about it or anything, but I thought that was amazing. Well, I've never been good at it. It, it. When you say you weren't good at it, what are you, are you, you stiff at it or what, what do you mean by you're not good yes. at it? I suppose I'm stiff. I don't know. Oh, Steve, it's a, it's such a complicated thing. I'm certainly bad going into it. Uh, I'm always a nervous wreck going into it. Sometimes the the material helps me just center myself. So that's good that you, I once I'm reading the script, I can be centered. Do you, you know? think it harks back to the notion that you don't like to do the research prior to and then suddenly you're thrust into it? Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't. God, someone could look at it and say, you're missing the point there, Candace. 
No, it's what I said to you earlier. It's always hard for me to be myself. I'm not comfortable as myself. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something that that's a whole hour by well, itself. Right well, I, you know, and we don't have to get psychological at all, but perhaps that's the reason why you act is so that you can play other people. <laughs> it's good because I've never figured out why I enjoy doing this or why I was good at it. I have no idea. No idea. And it's perfectly acceptable that you've never questioned it, you know? Well, I've thought about it, you know, tried to answer that, but I can't answer it. And it's what several of your guests have said. I had to do this. When the time came, this is what I have to do. And off you go and you do it because you're compelled to do it. I want to talk about directors. We've talked a little bit about directors, but I want to get a little more specific on directors for a moment. Is there anything that you do differently now in working with directors that you that you did early? Did you do something different early on that you realized, no, I need to work with directors in a different way? Or how do you approach directing directors today? Not directing, but directors. Yeah. Oh, that's, hmm. well, certainly I stand up for myself more. I mean, once I got the confidence that I would defend my choices or my instincts. So, and also that came of working with people over and over again. Well, certainly once you're familiar with somebody and they're familiar with you, you start start having shortcuts on things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, for sure. What is it that you want from a director during a rehearsal period? Do you want them to be telling you everything that they want or are you hoping that they'll push you into one thing or another, or are you hoping that they'll pull it out of you somehow? I've also often said that the best directors take me in a way, take me by the hand and they, they shine a light into corners that I wouldn't go to normally. Mm. So I love it when a director pushes me into something that I wouldn't think of going to naturally. By the same token, I want it to be collaborative, especially later in my career. I was that way because it's like, I'm a good actress. I have good ideas. So let me voice some things here. Well, have you, uh, no names needed, but have you worked with the directors who were, who were trying to force you into things and not have that collaborative effort? Yes, not too often. Ultimately, you have to do what the director says. It's the director's show. But I mean, I and I have on occasion done things where they made absolutely no sense to me as the character. It just not in a million years, but you have to do it. Can, can yeah. you think of, um, you've already alluded to a few of these, but can you think of a specific direction you were given at one time or another that was, that then stuck with you and has been very helpful for you f- Uh, for the rest of your career? Well, when I started in the early days at the Globe, the man who ran the old Globe was Craig Knoll. Sure. Who became a mentor to me. He was a huge influence on me as an actress and as a person, but certainly in my career. And Craig Knoll was brilliant at blocking. And I learned blocking from him. And that has helped me through my career a lot because It's amazing to me at how many directors I've worked with who don't understand the importance of the blocking. They're making pictures and there's so much more at stake than that. So I've been able to help myself and help other actors as well. I'm notorious for giving notes to other actors, but it's always technical stuff. I would never say to an actor, oh, I think you need to be angrier or I think you need... 
that's not it. I think I would say to them, I think if you step forward on that line, that's going to give you what you need. Or I think if you cross on this line. You're saying that there are, and I'm sure there are plenty of them, directors who uh, don't really worry so much about the intention of the blocking. They're worried about the, the picture of the block. Oh, yes. yes. The imagery. The picture. Yeah. And, and so what do you do? Do you then say something to them like this is not helping us to, to fulfill this scene? Or what do you say? Well, uh, yes, if I feel strongly, I would speak up and say, I would like to cross on this line instead of that line, or I would like to cross over there instead of over here, or and yes, and I, I make suggestions. Is yeah. that an example of what you mean by you fight with directors? Oh, um, once in a while, but no, that's just, that's me making suggestions, but mm -hmm. no, um, fighting would be more... I hate to use the word fighting. Arm wrestling sounds like arm wrestling. That's but the word you to use. Me, to me, the arm wrestling is if a director says, I think you should do A. And I say to him, no, you know, that doesn't feel right. I feel like I should do B. And he says, well, I think you should do A because of such and such and such. And I say, yeah, but I think B because of so and so and so. And we go back and forth until one of us is convinced that the other one has the right idea. Is there yeah. one thing that directors do that makes you crazy that you wish they would never do? God, I can't think of anything. Isn't that funny? Well, that's good. I think that's good. Yeah. Stages and sets in particular on movies, but stages too, theaters can be very distracting places. There can be noise on, on a stage. There can be people working backstage, not during performance, of course, but I'm talking about in, in preparation and while you're working the show. What do you do to get yourself away from those distractions? Is it easy for you to focus or do you have to do anything in particular to, to become more focused? Oh, no. I may on occasion, although any of us would do this, ask that the noise be toned down somehow. Mm -hmm. It depends on what you're working on. The interaction between the actors, can you get by with this? How, how deep and serious are we being at the moment? That sort of thing. One of the things that happened, this may be completely off the track, but we were doing a, an outdoor show at the Old Globe. Right. And we were having a daytime rehearsal and Craig was directing, Craig Knoll, and he kept saying, Candace, I can't hear you. So I pumped it up. Candace, I can't hear you. And I was screaming and I finally said, Craig, I can't do the show at this level. I don't know what's wrong. And we finally figured out that in the daytime, the art museum, which is next to the outdoor theater, runs their air conditioning unit. And that was completely blocking out my voice. For some reason, my voice was at the same tone as the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we had to stop rehearsing because we couldn't make them turn off the air conditioner. So isn't that weird? That, that was one of the weirdest things ever. Yeah. So, so the 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 pitch of your voice was right in line with the pitch of the yeah, air conditioner. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And Craig was very in tune to those things. I mean, mm -hmm. he he used to sit at rehearsals with his eyes closed, and you think he's dozing off, but he is listening, listening. Yeah. Well, but because in the theater, in particular, the words are everything everything i mean yeah there's we can make pretty pictures and you can definitely have action and all that but the words are what the theater is about that's why that's why i sometimes have trouble nowadays because 
theaters try to do so much more. And what's interesting to me is not all the gimmicks and things that we can accomplish, theater people can accomplish. I want to hear people, human beings talking with each other. That's well, what's interesting to me. That's what the theater is all about. Yeah. So I'm curious, in your entire career, you certainly must have had a time or two where you were between jobs. Oh, yeah. So did you ever think to yourself, I'm never going to work again? Did that thought ever come to your head? I'm sure it did. You know, it's a running joke with actors saying, oh, I'm never going to work again. Right. But but um, yeah, I would say there were a couple of times when I wondered what was going to happen. And I have to tell you, I'm in one now. I mean, this is interesting because even before the COVID thing, my career was fizzing out. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm, I'm actually sort of done with my career. Now, by accident, I mean, just by chance, someone called and offered me this Eleanor Roosevelt play. Right. So what do you do then to keep your head in the game? What do you do? I don't. I don't. I've gone. I've, you kick back. I've walked away from the game in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what, Steve? I've been, this is something that's troubled me through my whole career. I don't pursue work. I've never been good at tooting my own horn or pursuing a job. Only once did I go after a job that I wanted. And the rest of the time, I just let it come to me. I'm not bragging. I mean, I'm hugely lucky that it did come to me for many years. But I, I don't think that's a good way to approach it. I mean, so, so once you established yourself as being an excellent actress, they just kept coming to you for quite some time. Yeah. That work came, did you say? Yeah, yeah. the work came to you yes, uh, yes, repeatedly. Yes. And I guess that that's beyond lucky when that happens. It doesn't happen to every performer, as you well know. Some people have oh. to, to work at it and work at it and work at it. So you've had a good deal of luck. Well, this is this is something else I've been thinking about. In the late 90s, wait, was it the 90s? The late 80s, I got to go understudy on Broadway in Neil Simon's Rumors. Right. And then I got to take over a part. And then I got to do the national tour. And I remember my um, a friend of mine said to me, oh, you're so lucky that this is happening. And I got so defensive, I said, uh, it's not luck. I earned this. I deserve this. I worked very hard for this. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I finally realized, of course, it's luck. Think of all the people I know who have earned it, who deserve it, and just didn't have that break. Well, it was yours to be. And that's, uh, you know, Brian Cranston, who also has been on this show, um, he talks about when a part is, when you get a part, it's yours to have. When you don't get a part, it's simply not your part. So, no. so it was yours at that time. And I think that, the, you know, you make the best of it, obviously, and, uh, and, and move forward. And, but at the same time, you can also recognize what luck you have in having yes. it. You, you have good fortune in the fact that you're talented and you have good fortune in the fact that you were in the right place at the right time and somebody saw you and said, yes, we'd like you to be in the show and so on. Um, I've been speaking to the um, just tremendous actress, Candace Chappelle, for almost an hour now, and we're going to wind this thing down a little bit. And I'm just wondering, in all of your many years of experience, um, are you able to share with us a story that's either weird, quirky, strange, offbeat, or maybe just plain funny? Yes, I have two of them for you. I thought, Great. About and 
one of them is I had the great privilege of doing a couple of shows with Hal Holbrook. Wow. Fabulous actor, a prince of a man. And we were doing King Lear. And there was a very steep staircase on the set that went down into the trap area. And one of the actors in a rehearsal slipped and I think sprained his ankle. So we got him out of the trap and we had him in a chair and we're trying to figure out what to do. And Hal Holbrook went backstage and got a bucket and got someone to take him to the ice machine. And he brought the bucket of ice to ice the guy's foot, Hal Holbrook. And he got down on his knees and iced the guy's foot. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Except, except it was believable because that was how. Well, was I, I saw him in Mark Twain tonight and he oh. was off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And the other one that was, this is the more fun one. I also have the, the joy of working with Peter Marshall, who, if you remember, used to host Hollywood Square. Sure, so we of course. On, we were on tour. And we were in going to be in San Antonio, Texas. And my mother was going to come and visit me on tour. And my mother was the queen of the swap meets. So I said to her, mom, if you can find a home version of the Hollywood Squares, bring it with you. And she did. And one night in the hotel in San Antonio, after a performance, Peter Marshall hosted Hollywood Squares for us in the hotel. And he did things like he'd say, Someone said, oh, I'll take Candace, uh, you know, for the win. And he said, Candace, so I understand you're playing in Rumors in San Antonio. How long are you going to be there? He did it just like the show. It was, <laughs> it was thrilling. It was just such so much fun. Was it surreal? Another one. He was a great guy. Yeah. It, yeah. it must, have, must have been quite surreal to do yeah, that. Yeah, it was. It was very bizarre, but it was in a wonderful, wonderful way. So, so you were one of the squares? Yes. How wonderful was that? And I'm and I'm a big game person. I mean, I love playing games, so it was it was an added bonus. How nice! That, that I mean, that must have been a lot of fun. Oh um, yeah, yes. Right. Well, the whole tour was. You know, we made friends. We're still friends together, and it's quite amazing. That was an amazing time. Yeah. You know, that's a really nice thing when that happens. When you remain yes. friends yes. with yes. anyone, let alone someone who's a celebrity like that. <laughs> So last question for you today, Candice, you've already given us an enormous amount of great advice. And I'm just wondering if you have a single solid piece of advice or tip that you like to give those who are maybe starting out in the business, or maybe they're in a little bit, but trying to get to that next level. I feel like I can only steal from what other people have said to go to college because it makes you a much more rounded person and in the theater, certainly, you're going to need all of that information. Everything that you learn in school and in life, you're going to use in the theater. So go to college and then go to a, the best professional training program that you can manage. So you're, you're a believer in both education and then experience through that process. Yes. You know what part of it is? It opens doors. Think of, um, at one point, there were... The, it was like everyone who was working in the theater was a graduate of the Yale program. You know, it just opens doors for you. You make connections and everything. Yeah, I think that's very important. Well, I think that's very wise advice all the way around. There are lots of people who will say that 
you don't need to go to school in order to be in the business. And there's truth to that. There are a lot of people oh, that, that have success without ever going to school. But I do think that people that do go to school, if they're paying attention, um, that their chances are enhanced because they learn things the they learn things the safe way. That is to say, you can fail in school and you can fail your way upward rather than failing out in the professional world where there can be uh, repercussions from it. So I, I think that's very wise advice. Right, right. And and the other thing is only do this if you have to do it. And uh, I know other people have said that, but if there's anything else that interests you, go do it. Because this is a hard business. Well, Candace Chappelle, this has been a terrific hour on StoryBeat. And I'm so grateful to you to spend a little time with me today on the show and, and to, to uh, give us your wisdom and your advice from uh, what a terrific career you've had. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a real treat. And so we've come to the end of today's StoryBeat. If you like this episode, won't you please take a moment to give us a comment, rating, or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great StoryBeat episodes to you. StoryBeat is available on all major podcast apps and platforms, including Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many others. Until next time, I'm Steve Cuden, and may all your stories be unforgettable.